You're listening to a rebroadcast of a live walk talk from Instagram. All right, while you guys are getting loaded up here, before I get to today's walk talk, will there be Christians in hell? Let me go ahead and get my introduction out of the way. Now, if you're watching live, of course, you can't skip through the introduction, but if you're listening to the podcast in the future or watching on YouTube, you can skip through this. <laughs> hey, how are you? Oh, Florissant, Missouri. Very cool. Fellow Missourian. Hi. Oh, how? <laughs> so my name is Matt McMillan. I'm a Christian author. I've written seven books. Super Nintendo. What's up, man? Hey, Robin and St. Charles. If you've read any of my books, um, oh, um, all my books are available on Amazon. Please be sure to check them out if you get some time. Now, if you have read any of my books, please go back to Amazon and leave me a quick review. I would greatly appreciate that. Yes. <laughs> yep. Good morning. Good morning. All right. I also have a podcast. The name of my podcast is Walk Talks with Matt McMillan. I'm recording the latest episode live on Instagram. Thank you for joining me live. If you're listening to the podcast in the future, please pause the podcast, leave me a quick review, and then come on back to finish the podcast. Um, also on YouTube, maybe you're watching on YouTube. There are a lot of people on YouTube who do not listen to podcasts and are not on social media. So thank you for watching on YouTube. If you want to be notified when I release a new walk talk or a new short, just hit that notification button, hit the bell button. If you do want to be notified and hit that subscribe button. I'm not a pastor. I'm a regular person, just like you. The word pastor is only used once in the New Testament epistles and it is plural. Now, you don't have to be a pastor to talk about Jesus. That idea started with the Reformation in the 16th century. That is nowhere to be found in Scripture. I don't know everything. I like to put that in my introduction so you never feel intimidated when you listen to my walk talks, watch my YouTube videos, read my books. I want you to know we are equal. You and I, we're the same. You're a body of the mem you're a member of the body of Christ, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, and we are all vital to Christ's body operating. Only Christ is the head, a pastor is not the head. I want to say that again, that's reformationism. No pastor in scripture has any authority over you. No pastor in scripture has any qualifications even. Here's another quick side note about pastors. Some people who don't understand this or they want to see their position as pastor as higher than other people. The Greek word for pastor is poimenes and it's plural. It's poimena. So when we see it in Ephesians, it's plural. So many will say a pastor is the same as an elder. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not true because an elder, the Greek word is presbyteros. Okay, presbyteros is not poimenes. <laughs> They're not the same. Poimenes is a spiritual gift of overseeing, but that has nothing to do with being the leader of a group of people at a church building. And we don't see anybody preaching ever in scripture from anyone named pastor. Matter of fact, the word pastor and preach, they're not even in the same letters. So we got to reshape our mindsets to the easiness of the gospel. Also, the word preach simply means to speak. Some people want to call a pastor as a preacher, but we never see a pastor preaching in scripture. That started with the Reformation. <laughs> that is Calvinism. That started with Martin Luther. So a lot of things we practice today have nothing to do with scripture. The body of Christ is a group. 
the, the word for church is ecclesia. And ecclesia has no top-down authority. Jesus even said this in Matthew chapter 20. You will not lord over one another. It will not be like this among you. So I want to help renew your mind to the group style of what the ecclesia actually is with no top-down authority. One other quick thing. Some people say, oh, no, there's leaders. <laughs> yes, we see the word leader in the book of Hebrews. We see it in the, in, uh, in the book of Romans as well. But what is a leader in the context of both parts of Scripture? This is somebody leading the Jews away from the Mosaic law, from the law of Moses. So a pastor is never described as a leader. An elder is never described as a leader. Some people say, oh, there's bishops. Well, there's not. <laughs> the word bishop is not in scripture. The most updated translations do not say bishop. That began with Ignatius of Antioch. And then it was perpetuated through the early church fathers. So the Greek word that they use for bishop is episkopon in the book of 1 Timothy, but episkopon does not mean bishop. <laughs> it means overseer. The word bishop is not in the Bible. That is man-made tradition. And Paul said, don't allow yourself to become captive to the philosophy of man-made tradition. He said that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. So my ministry is centered around getting you to understand how easy it is to be a member of the ecclesia, how light, how burden-free, how graceful. So that's what my ministry is centered on. All right. If you want to contact me, please be sure to message me on my website, not on social media. Just go to the contact page. I'll be glad to interact with you there. Now, while you're on my website, be sure to check out the topics page. I have tons of free resources you can read and sign up for the free daily devotional. If you're listening on the podcast, you can pause the podcast. I have a link to sign up for the free daily devotional in the show notes. All right. So let's get to today's Walk Talk. Will there be Christians in hell? So this is a hot topic. Now, I don't deliberately pick hot topics. <laughs> the way I come up with my walk talks is whatever is being talked about a lot on my social media profiles or whatever I'm interacting with a lot, typically that's when I'll decide to do a walk talk, okay? Now, the, the idea of Christians going to hell has been happening a lot recently on my social media profiles. Okay, I have a social media ministry. Um, I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. I'm on Twitter, but I don't post anything to Twitter. I just uh, connect it to my Instagram profile and it uploads there when I upload to Instagram. But my point is, I pay attention to what people are responding to certain things. I pay attention to what people are responding to other people's posts, videos, TikToks, reels, and hell, Christians going to hell has been a big topic recently. So I want to talk about that. You know, will, will there be Christians in hell? A lot of people think that there will be. <laughs> Why? Because most of our churches do not make a big deal of Jesus. Jesus is nothing more than an afterthought. He's an afterthought to their man-made tradition. He's an afterthought to their... <laughs> Calm down, McMillan. I can feel myself getting triggered talking about this. He's an afterthought to everything that has to do with that location, uh, 
with the people who are in charge at that location. He's an afterthought to your behavior. He's an afterthought to their behavior. Jesus says nothing to many churches. You, some places, you never even hear them talk about Jesus. Oh, they might do a little dab of the word Jesus now and again. Or they'll use table flipping Jesus to back up their erroneous man-made theology. But they don't make a big deal of his blood. And here's another thing they don't make a big deal of. And this is what's going to keep you out of hell. You're going to see as I talk about this today. They don't make a big deal of his life. If our churches would make a bigger deal of his blood. And if they made a bigger deal of his life. This walk talk would be pointless. Because everybody would be like. We already know the answer, Matt. Nobody, no Christian's going to be in hell. But we don't see that. We apply Bible verses describing unbelievers to believers. We apply scriptures, which are warnings to those who are looking to their own self-effort as an unbeliever for righteousness to those who have already trusted Jesus. About What's going to happen to those who have rejected faith in Christ? So today, I hope by the time I finish with this walk talk, you are 100% confident that you, as a Christian, will never go to hell because of what Christ did at the cross, but also because of the life of Christ, which came through the resurrection. Okay, so first of all, let's talk about the word hell. When we go to the Bible and we search for the word hell, the word hell is used about 15 times in the New Testament. Hell is a real place. Now, the word hell is not in the Old Testament. It's only in the New Testament. In the King James Version, it is in the Old Testament about 30 times. In the New King James Version, it's in the Old Testament about 20 times, but every other translation, the word hell is not there. Many people who are claiming that hell is not real will use that as proof text to say, we've made up hell. But even when you go to the text that was originally written, the words described, there's several different words, I think it's four or five different words, describe what the King James translation and the New King James translation have turned into hell, even though the word hell is not there. That word describes a place of pain. That place describes a place of separation from God. So there is a hell. And some people say, oh, well, this proves that the King James and the New King James are the most authentic because the word hell is there. Ah, uh -uh, now hold on with that. <laughs> Since the King James Version was translated in the 17th century, older transcripts of the original manuscripts have been found. When you find an older transcript of the original manuscript, which the original manuscript is what was handwritten, the first document of each letter, that transcript replaces the newer transcript. So you, the older, the more accurate. The older, the more accurate. So since the King James translation was translated, 
older transcripts were found. So we cannot say that the King James is the most authentic <laughs> translation out there. Just because it's old does not mean it's true. It's true if it's based on the gospel, and it's even more true if the transcripts that you receive that they have found are older. Older replaces it. It's just like the telephone game. The, the, if you say something in the telephone game, by the time it gets to the person over here at the end of the room, it's changed a little bit. Same thing happened with the original manuscript. So the older, the better. The overall message remains the same. You got the fall. You got Jesus. Excuse me. You got, you got the garden. You got the fall. You got Israel's rebellion. You got Jesus. You got the church. You got the end. Okay, so it all remains the same, but the older the transcripts, the more accurate. So we don't want to say, oh, the King James is the most, most authentic. It's not. Older transcripts have been found. And then in the 20th century, the new King James, older transcripts have been found. So the word hell, we don't have to say, oh, it has to be in the Old Testament. It doesn't have to be in the Old Testament. But the words that are used in the Old Testament, and I'm not even going to say them because I don't want to butcher them, means pain, means separation from God. So... There is a hell. Hell is a real place. Look at it this way. There would be no good news without bad news. And this is the good news of the gospel of God's grace. Paul called the gospel the gospel of grace in the book of Acts. So hell's real. If you, mm, Calm down, McMillan. <laughs> If somebody tells you that hell is not real, that's wishful thinking. Now, here's another thing when it comes to, to hell. <laughs> Some are saying hell is real, yes, but it will not last forever. They will use the word destruction. They will attempt to say you're gonna be annihilated, which means you cease to exist. And they'll use the word destruction for their theology. So they're saying hell is real, but they're saying it's going to be ultimately annihilated. So nobody ultimately has to worry about anything. A good God wouldn't do that. Here's the thing with that. I am not 100% swayed against that. But I am also not 100% swayed for that. I've read the passages. You do not have to say whether or not hell is forever or not forever in order to say hell is real. So let's just get that out in the open to begin with. Here's what you need to do about hell. If you don't want to go there, trust Jesus once in your lifetime by grace. If you've never done that, it could have happened right then, right when you believe me. There's no sinner's prayer in the Bible. The sinner's prayer began with D.L. Moody in the 19th century. There is nothing that you say in order to receive the life of Christ. And that's what I'm going to talk about today when I get to why you can't go to hell as a Christian. Paul told the Galatians, you receive the spirit, which is the spirit of Jesus Christ, by hearing with faith. You hear, you believe. This is also why he encouraged them to continue in the faith. Some people have turned continuing in the faith into a work. But all that is, is, Continue to hear, 
continue to hear. Continue to hear. If you're a believer, continue to hear so that you will be strengthened. If you're not a believer, continue to hear because one day you're just going to believe. So we don't want to ever fall into the trap of saying, I said something, I did something, I went somewhere in order to be saved. That is a works-based righteousness and it is an enemy of the cross. Some people say, well, you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Well, when Paul wrote that to the Romans, they were used to confessing Caesar is Lord. So they knew exactly what they were, he knew, they knew exactly what he was referring to. Some people don't have a voice box. Some people don't have a tongue. What if you didn't raise your hand high enough? Some people don't have a hand. Some people are bed bound. Some people can't go nowhere. Will God not save them? Yes, he will save them. If they trust, trusting Jesus is what saves you. Everything else you want to throw in as a caveat, caveat, you're going to have to deal with that. You're going to have to deal with your behavior. You're going to have to deal with your theology. You're going to have to deal with your relationships with people. You're going to have to deal with everything else except for one thing. I'm not saved. You cannot sustain this. You cannot maintain this. In the same way you were saved, Paul said, now walk in it. Grace. You're saved by grace. You continue to be saved by, the, by grace. Because grace and truth is Jesus. So, when it, when it comes to the topic of hell, I guess I can giggle about this because I'm not afraid. And I probably shouldn't because there are some people who are very scared of hell as a Christian. And I empathize with you because I used to be there. But then I began to understand just how big of a deal the event that happened at Golgotha was. What Christ accomplished through his blood is greater now get this, if you want to take a note, I'm not saying you need to take notes, but if you want to take a mental note, think about this for a moment. What Jesus did at the cross, his blood paid for every single sin of every single human who would ever live. He has reconciled you with God. As a child of God, as somebody who has believed this, it is now my desire to get you to reconcile yourself to God, which would be receiving that forgiveness. So he has done all the work, but it takes two to tango. You are not reconciled with anybody until you decide to be reconciled with them, even if they reconcile themselves to you. So there's a decision that you have to make. Am I going to believe that Christ actually did this? Am I going to believe that it was good enough? Yes. Okay, I'm saved. Boom. Your old self dies. You're buried in the tomb with Jesus. You have been crucified. Romans chapter 6, Galatians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2. But not only that, everything that was sinful about you, crucified, you died with Christ, but it didn't end there. You were resurrected. When you were resurrected, you received the life of Christ. 
This is why the second half of Galatians 2.20 says, the life I now live. So, so many people are like, I'm dead. It's just, I'm just a, a, a walking corpse and it's just Jesus using me. No, it's you and Christ. You know, Jesus describes this in John chapter 15 as a vine and a branch. Is the vine alive? Yes. Is the branch alive? Yes. Is the branch the vine? No. Is the vine the branch? No. Or else it'd be all branch or else it'd be all vine. It is a vine and a branch. And as you can see in this relationship, the branch does not do anything to stay connected to the vine. It abides. It lives. So many people even turn that passage into a work. If you don't abide, you'll be cut off. No, that is a descriptive passage for somebody who has never trusted him. Abide means live and you do live. You are connected to the vine. So if you're connected to the vine who has life and you are a branch, what does a branch do? Does a branch, I'm going to try real hard. I'm going to do everything I can to stay connected. I'm going to produce all this fruit. Nope. A branch lives. I'm going to put God first. I'm going to do this. I'm going to stop. Nope. The, the, The branch lives. The vine is first. All of the fruit comes through the vine through the branch. It is the fruit of the spirit. Where's the spirit? Here. In here. So, once you have trusted Jesus, everything sinful about you was crucified. You then receive the life of Christ. You know, we see in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, all things are gone, all things are new. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 19, he no longer holds your sins against you. 2 Corinthians 5.20, he became sin so that you could become righteous. And you did. Oh, no, you got to do stuff. What are you going to do? Look at it this way. Many people will go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, and let's say right here, this proves that Christians will go to hell. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. This is called verse-itis. When you handpick certain passages and then you build a demonic doctrine on it and the demonic doctrine is legalism that's demonic doctrine the demonic doctrine is the cross is not good enough the demonic doctrine is grace oh be careful with that grace but when we when we just pan back and we read several chapters in a row matthew 5 6 and 7 And we see that Jesus is setting up an impossible standard to those who are looking to their own works for righteousness. And we see that these are actually people who said he is not the Messiah. We see that this is not a Christian. Oh, no, I got you right here, McMillan. He said, did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not perform miracles? Do you see where all of that is pointed at? Did I not? God. Did I not? God. Did I not? God. What part of that is pointing to Jesus? None of it. (laughs) None of it. Oh, they couldn't do that stuff without Jesus. They couldn't do that unless they were Christians. Oh, really? What does it say right before this? These are false prophets. Why were they false prophets? What's a false prophet? A false prophet is somebody who says, that's not the Messiah. Jesus is not the son of God. So a true prophet, again, the word prophet simply means somebody who speaks. This is why 
Jesus said, John the Baptist is the greatest prophet. Because when John saw Jesus, he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The people in Matthew chapter seven were not saying that. They were saying, you're not the Messiah. We're looking to the commandments of Moses for righteousness. Okay, well then how did they prophesy? They didn't. He just asked. They just asked him a question. He said, I never knew you. You didn't prophesy in my name. Okay, how did they perform miracles? Well, did they perform miracles? Did they? They're asking Jesus a question. Did we not? Did we not? Did we not? Jesus gives them the answer. Never. And let's just say they did perform a miracle. Pharaoh's magicians appeared to perform miracles. In the book of Ex Exodus, Paul told the Corinthians, Satan can appear as an angel of light. Did we not cast out demons? Who said they did? They're asking Jesus a question. And Jesus gives them the answer. Never. I never knew you. You didn't do any of that stuff in my name. Also, the word cast out simply means to make go away. These are not Christians. Matthew chapter 7 is not describing somebody who has trusted in Jesus. This is why Jesus said, you never did the will of the Father. What's the will of the Father? John tells us to believe in the one whom he has sent. Did they do that? No, they were false prophets. So is that you? It's not you. So this is not a Christian going to hell. So the word hell, when we see it in scripture, Jesus tells us who's going to go there. So <laughs> trying to choose my words carefully <laughs> because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I know what it's like to hear something that opposes what I have believed for a long time. And I remember when I first learned this, that hell in Matthew chapter 25, we see is reserved for Satan, his demons and goats. Who's a goat? A goat is somebody who has not trusted Jesus. So he's going to separate sheep from the goats. Satan and his demons will be there as well. So is that you? No. Do we see any type of mixture of a sheep and a goat, like together? No, you are either a sheep or you are a goat. You're not both. So you have nothing to worry about. And let's just talk about some of the rebuttals because Hebrews chapter six will pop up and they'll say, uh, you can, you can fall away from the faith. No, these were people in Hebrews chapter six who were tasting but not swallowing. They never drank in the rain. Read all of Hebrews chapter six. What is the only sin listed in the entire letter to the Hebrews? Did they struggle with, you know, greed, drunkenness, debauchery, homosexuality, orgies, all this stuff that the Corinthians were being corrected on? No. These were the Hebrew people, the Jews, the ones who had the law, the ones who had the oracles of God. They had 613 different ways to behave. So they didn't need to be told not to do all this stuff. So what did the author say is going to cause you to receive punishment by God? Trampling on the spirit of grace. 
trampling on the Son of God, insulting the Spirit of grace. We see this in Hebrews chapter 10. So in Hebrews chapter 6, these were people who were hearing all about Jesus. They had the best gospel teachers around, probably some of the original disciples, apostles. They heard it. They taste it. They're like, no, nope, I'm going back to the temple. We've been doing it this way for 1,500 years. We're not just going to stop just because you say what Jesus did on the cross when he received the punishment for blasphemy. It's going to forgive me once and for all time. Nope, I'm going back. So they drank, they tasted, did not drink in the rain. If you continue to read all the way to the bottom, this is about temple work. The temple is gone. So this is not a Christian. This is not somebody who has trusted Jesus. This is somebody who heard about Jesus, tasted, did not swallow, did not drink in the rain. The author knows that this is scary. So the author even assures the people who have believed towards the end of that chapter. But I know better things about you guys. <laughs> I know you have drank in the rain, but the people who just taste and don't swallow, it's not going to be good for them. So people will go to Hebrews 10, 26 and say, oh, I got you right here, McMillan. It says if you deliberately keep on sinning, your deliberate sins will send you to hell because you'll be lukewarm. You'll be... There it is again. <laughs> Emotionalism, scare tactics, all of these things <laughs> that God's perfect love casts out. Makes go away. Hebrews 10, 26 is about what? How about Hebrews 8 through the end of 10? <laughs> annual sacrifices at the temple for forgiveness. That system, Hebrews 8.13 says, is now obsolete. There is a better covenant based on better promises. What is that? The new covenant. Jesus talked about this at the Last Supper. This is the blood of the covenant in my name. This is the new covenant, not the old covenant. So Hebrews 10.26 is about unbelievers who were Hebrew. What's a Hebrew person? It is a Jewish person. It is a non-Gentile who said, nope, I do not believe in that once for all sacrifice of Jesus. I am going back to the temple once a year to receive my forgiveness through my lamb, not this supposed lamb of God. I'm going to give my lamb to the Levitical priest. He is going to shed the blood on the altar and I'm going to have my sins atoned for for the past year and then I'm on my merry way for the next annual day of atonement. Come on. This is not about deliberate sins as a Christian. Every sin you commit is deliberate. You are not a robot. If only deliberate sins count, or non-deliberate sins count, don't count. You know what I'm saying. If sinning and you don't realize it, does that count against you? How are you judging that? The Jews could judge that because they had a full ledger of 613 different ways. I sin there. I sin there. I sin there. I need atonement. And Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And before the cross, the animal blood atoned, which means to cover. Jesus comes along and propitiates, which means takes them away, banishes them. Satisfying sacrifice. Here's another thing, just a really quick sidebar here. 
the, the Levites did perform the annual day of atonement for the sins of the people. And they also had to atone for their own sins through their own animal before they could do it for the people. But not only that, the Levitical priests did this day after day, not for a, not for forgiveness, but in an attempt to say, I'm not worthy. I'm drawing near to you. I'm drawing close to God. This is what all the daily sacrifices were for. And they would even, and it, this could never cause them to draw near to God, never. But they would even take those animal blood sacrifice, those animal bodies after they had sacrificed the blood and they would burn the bodies thinking that that aroma pleased God. But God didn't want the sacrifices. Jesus even said this. And the author of Hebrews reiterates this. Sacrifices and offerings he has not desired, but a body prepared. What's the body? Jesus' body. Do you see what I'm doing in this walk talk? I am talking about the magnitude of the cross. I am not talking about your sins. Nobody needs a license to sin. I get accused of that. Oh, you're just giving people a license to sin. Nobody needs a license to sin. Everybody sins all the time without a license. What you need is to be trained up in your righteousness. You need to see how big of a deal the cross was. That it has taken care of your sins. So if you're struggling mentally with something that you, you just, I keep doing this, I keep doing this, I keep doing this. His grace is bigger. His grace is bigger. His grace is bigger. His grace is bigger. Oh, sounds like a license. Okay. <laughs> you don't need a license because you're already doing it. This is called grace. And this is why Paul told Titus, it is the grace of God, which will teach you how to live an upright, holy, self-controlled life. If you want to sin more, put yourself under the commandments. Paul told the Romans, Romans 6, 14, sin will no longer be your master because you're not under the law, which is the commandments, 613 commandments in the book of the law. Sin will no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. So if you don't want sin to be your master, stop thinking you can obey any part of the law. Oh, you're just saying, you're just saying, you're just saying, I'm saying all of it. I'm saying all of it. Are you saying we could just commit adultery? You don't want to commit adultery. But what if I do? You're forgiven. And you're going to have to deal with the consequences that comes along with everything that happens in your marriage. You're going to have to deal with the consequences that comes along with everything that's going to be happening in your mind because you don't want to do that. What you want is you want to express love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. There's, there's a big fruit of the Spirit right there. And again, it is the fruit of the Spirit. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. So if you are committing adultery, you don't, I don't need to get on here and tell you you're going to go to hell or something bad's going to happen to you with God. I need to tell you in your heart, you want to be committed. You want to be faithful. You don't want to do that. You're going to try it and you're like, oh, this is terrible. I don't want this. Or you're going to be in denial about it. And then the Holy Spirit is still in you, still working in you. And he's going to be grieved and he's going to say, I want better for you. But he is not angry. He wants better for you. The wrath of God over the sin of the world was absorbed by Christ on the cross because of his blood. We see this in Romans chapter 5, verse 9. 
You have been saved from the wrath of God because of his blood. You have a license to be righteous. <laughs> you have a, an actual license to be righteous. You are righteous. Oh, it's just as if. It's just heavenly bookkeeping. Oh, no, 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 no. The blood of Jesus is not just heavenly bookkeeping. You're still alive here. So when you sin, you're going to have to deal with what comes along with that. You're going to have to deal with the mental anguish. You're going to have to deal with the denial. And then eventually you're going to be like, okay, that's not for me. So let me do everything I can do to live at peace with all men. Let me make amends with people. Let me make amends with those I've done wrong. If I've committed adultery, let me do everything I can do to fix that. If it's too late, then I need to do everything I can to still do what I can do. Whatever sin you want to enter there. You know, our modern church picks on sins, but they don't point to the cross. Because, calm down. I'm not doing it today. <laughs> I am not smooth going off. Because most of our, hmm. Because most of our pulpits do not make a big deal of Jesus. They don't make a big deal of Jesus. He's not a big deal. He's meh. Let's talk about him on Christmas and Easter. Meh. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus. That's their attitude towards it. It's pastor. What? Mm, don't do it, McMillan. <laughs> don't do it. I'm going to be gentle and respectful today. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I know some of you guys want me to, but I'm not. Love y'all. Okay, so let's get back on track here. So hell, hell is reserved for Satan and his demons. Those who have rejected faith in Christ, Hebrews chapter six is not describing a Christian. It is describing somebody who wanted to go back to temple work after hearing about the Messiah. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, the deliberate sins is about deliberate sins according to the law. Not a Christian. You are described up in Hebrews 10, 10. You have been sanctified. Oh, nobody sanctified you. You're progressively being sanctified. Okay, so the only thing that could possibly sanctify you, Hebrews chapter 13 says, is what? The blood of Jesus. So is Jesus ongoingly pouring out his blood in heaven? No, it's finished. He is not getting up and down on a cross to sanctify you more to pour out it. It's finished. You have been sanctified. This is why Paul told the crazy Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, you were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified. Past tense. So you don't need to say, I'm progressively being sanctified. All of, mm, all of this man-made tradition, all of this demonic doctrine of men just needs to be diluted in your mind. You're going to have to deal with the fact that I am freaking completely forgiven. I'm completely forgiven, Okay. Oh, yeah, now I get to go wild sinning. Nobody thinks that way. Nobody. I have never met a child of God. I've never met a person who has ever understood that they are forgiven of past, present, and future sins. Completely understood. I am forgiven. Said, yes, I get to go sin. No, only those who don't understand his blood think that way. Those who struggle with legalism. Because they think... That what they are not doing, sin-wise, is somehow holding their place with God. What's that do? It's putting all the emphasis on them. Not on Jesus. You, you have to deal with the fact that the cross 
propitiate it. You have to deal with the fact that where sin abounds, grace abounds even greater. You have to deal with this is just the greatest thing in the history of mankind. Everybody is not forgiven. Everybody is not saved. Saved. Universalism is demonic doctrine. Inclusionism is demonic doctrine. You have to have a moment of your life where you have trusted. And then it's good to go. You're a new creation. Old self died, buried, new self, resurrected, fully united with the Lord. Romans chapter 6 verse 5. You have become one spirit with the Lord. You have his divine nature. You don't have a sinful nature. You can walk according to the flesh, but not your flesh. And if you decide to walk according to something that you have already crucified, you will not feel good. <laughs> it will be like corking a geyser. And you could, you could get a little bit of denial but if an eagle landed right here and started walking next to me like a dog that eagle's not a dog that eagle is an eagle you do things naturally as a saint what does that look like look at the fruit of the spirit and you are not doing anything to produce this fruit. You don't produce. The only people who are told to produce fruit are the legalists. And they were being chastised to produce fruit in keeping up with repentance according to law observance. So what would that look like? I'm obeying the 613 commandments. We don't do that. We bear fruit. Producing fruit is put my effort into. Bearing the fruit is I abide. I live. I rest, I be. Oh, you're just telling people they could just be lazy. This is that lazy stuff. Oh, 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 oh. I'll have you know, once you understand your full rest, you work the best from a state of rest. I can speak from experience and I normally don't do this, but I'm going to use myself. I can tell you that when I thought I had to do stuff to prove to the religious system around me, who I am, what I started, what I stopped, what I'm doing now. Look at me. Look at my awesome this. Look at my bad this. I was never in a state of rest. But when I realized I don't have to prove anything to anybody. If I never did a thing for the rest of my life for, air quote, for God, I'm fine. From that moment on, it was easy. And from that moment on, I believe, <laughs> personally, I've done more. And it hasn't earned me a thing. It hasn't sustained a thing. It hasn't kept me out of hell. It hasn't earned me greater rewards. You will not receive rewards in heaven. The word rewards, plural, is not in scripture. The reward of the inheritance is. And we have already received this. We see this in the book of Colossians. And how do you receive a reward of an inheritance? I want to emphasize this for a moment because so many people are like, oh, yeah, you're, you're just talking about down here. But when you get to heaven, all this stuff you did, like your grandma, Matt, your grandma did so much good stuff, you know she was rewarded the best. Well, <laughs> that's not true. Doesn't work like that because our best works are like filthy rags, scripture tells us. 
because we have already received the reward of the inheritance. So how do you receive the reward of inheritance? Somebody has to die. So you don't earn a reward of an inheritance. Say you have a rich relative. What do you do to get that inheritance? They got to die. Then you receive the full reward of the inheritance. This is why Paul told the Colossians, you have received the reward of the inheritance. What is that? Christ in you and through you, your hope of glory. You have Christ in you now, not later. Now. Some people will go to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, we will all stand and give an account. Yes. Both believer and unbeliever will stand and give an account. For the believer, our account is going to point to Christ. For the unbeliever, they are going to say, did we not prophesy, cast out demons, perform miracles? Did we not run a church? Did, were we not pastors? Were we not elders? Did we not run the children's ministry? Did I not church plant? Did I not go on mission works? Did I not have all these good things on my social media profile. Did I not have a million followers? And I, did I not? Did I not? Did I not? They're given an account. For us, we're going to be standing over there with our arm around Jesus. Say, he gave his account. He gave his account. And you're going to be good to go. So yes, you will be rewarded according to what you've done. And you have already received the reward of the inheritance. Unbelievers are going to be rewarded according to what they, they've done. And it's going to be a bad time. What is the only thing that could possibly cause a Christian to go to hell? What's the only thing? Because you've already been saved. You've already been forgiven. You're already righteous. The only thing that could possibly send you to hell is a sin. Just one sin would send you to hell. Now, before salvation, unfortunately, you were born in Adam, but you were saved. You received the life of Christ. So one sin would cause you to go to hell. Just one. So if somebody wants to say a certain lifestyle is going to cause somebody to go to sin, or you're not repentant well enough, one sin would send you to hell. Just one. So that person, that one sin that that person just committed would send them to hell. One sin. We see this in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6, 23. One sin would send you there. So if the wages of sin is death and only a sin could send you to hell, but Jesus already propitiated, forgave you, banished, dealt with all of that. How would you go to hell? You wouldn't. Now, here's another thing that a lot of people who preach Romans 6.23, they'll say that first part, but they don't say the second part. And here it is. Here is why you will not go to hell as a Christian. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. If the wages of sin is death and Jesus died, my sin is dealt with. I'm going to have to figure out a different reason to mature out of this rather than think I'm going to hell. Because the wages of sin is death, Jesus died, 
2 Corinthians 5, 19 says, he no longer holds your sins against you. So deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with your forgiveness. Figure something out else to do, except for think, I got to be more forgiven. Because the only way you could be more forgiven is if Jesus went back in time, got back up on the cross and died again. Or if he decided to die again in heaven, it's not going to happen. So you're forgiven and you've received it because you've believed it. And here's something else I want to point out. Now, here's, here's the big deal about Romans 6, 23, the, the second part of this. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Eternal life. What is eternal life? Eternal life has no beginning and no end. So you and I, human beings, we have everlasting life. Everlasting means there's a beginning, but no end. So we have everlasting life. Christ has eternal life. No end, no beginning, no end. So if you have received eternal life, that means it is not your life that you have received. Because you as a Christian, you would have everlasting, a beginning, but no end. But no, Romans 6.23 says the gift of God is eternal life. So you have received eternal life. Eternal life. So if you have received eternal life, but yet you don't have the ability to have eternal life, you have the ability to have everlasting life after believing, this means that you have received the life of Christ. You have received the life of Christ. So if you have received everlasting life, you have received the life of Christ, how in the world do you think you would ever be separated from God in hell? You wouldn't. It is an impossibility. So when you sin, you're going to have to deal with the fact that I'm forgiven and I have eternal life. Not just everlasting life, but eternal life. Why? Because Paul tells the Romans, excuse me, Paul told the Colossians, you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And the Romans, excuse me, Colossians 3, 4 says, Christ, who is your life? So Christ is your eternal life. Your old self died and you've been hidden in Christ, hidden in God with Christ. So you are hidden you have his life. Not only are you not ever going to go to hell, but you actually have the life of Christ in here. This is how you will not go to hell. You know, Jesus even reiterated this in John 14, 19. He said, understand this. So many people are like, oh no, you could forfeit it. Nope. You cannot forfeit the life of Christ because you have received it. This is why Jesus said in John 14, 19, because I live, you also will live. Because I live, you live. So you have received the life of Christ, everything sinful about you, dead, buried, crucified. You have been fully resurrected. You're a new creation. You have been given the very nature of God Almighty. And you have to deal with the fact that you're, you're, you're not only never going to go to hell, but you're already supernaturally seated in heaven. You're in Christ, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 17. You are one spirit with the Lord. Like milk and cereal. Cereal and milk, separate yet one. Like a tea bag and water, separate yet one. You're already seated in heaven.
Christ is seated in heaven. You're in Christ. Therefore, you are already supernaturally seated in heaven. Your physical shell is still here, bound by time, space, and matter. But one day, this will end. And you will enter into eternity. And you will see just how magnificent everything is. And you will never, ever go to hell. You will never, ever deal with anything that has to do with anybody who has rejected faith in Christ. No matter if you struggle every second of the day until the day you die, Christ is your life. You are hidden in him. You will pass over any type of harmful judgment. You will not be rewarded according to what you have done. You will not deal with anything that Satan, his demons, and those who are looking to their own works for righteousness. You're safe. You're safe. So will there be Christians in hell? Absolutely not. The blood forgave you. The resurrection gave you new life. And now you have the life of Christ. You have the life of Christ. Christ is in heaven. He ascended in Acts chapter 1, sent his spirit in Acts chapter 2. The first permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit did not happen until then because he had to deal with the sin of the world. He dealt with the sin of the world. He ascended, sent the comforter, which is him in spirit form. The Holy Spirit who guides you, protects you, leads you, will always guide you into your righteousness, will always remind you of what the cross accomplished, will always remind you of who you are, will always assure you Perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. If you're imagining punishment, it, it means you're imagining, if you're imagining fear, such as going to hell, it means you're imagining punishment. But what is the only thing you would be punished for? Sins. But God chooses to remember your sins no more. Hebrews chapter eight. Why? Because you've trusted in his son. First John 4 tells us perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. So if you are imagining, I want to reiterate this, if you are imagining going to hell, it would only be because you're going to be punished. But why would you be punished? Again, sins. But what did Jesus do at the cross through his blood? He has taken them away, paid for them, absorbed them in himself, and then given you the free gift of eternal life. Romans chapter five, verse one says, you have peace with God. Peace. If you had peace with God, not, not kind of, oh yeah, just the, just the religious peace. Oh yeah. If I do this, he's going to do this for me. No, no, no. You have peace with God. Why? Because of Jesus. Jesus. Make a bigger deal of Jesus. This will make more sense. <laughs> Don't worry about hell. You guys ain't going there. Uh, so I hope this has encouraged you today. I hope it's brought to light. Maybe some error about will there be Christians in hell? There won't. It'll never happen because of the cross and the resurrection. Because of your complete forgiveness. Because of your complete righteousness. Don't listen to the lies of the religious system. <laughs> Trust Jesus. I know you're going to have a lot, of stuff, a lot of stuff to unlearn. But if you just study the Bible based on what Christ has accomplished, this will just be just, you'll read the Bible in a whole new way. Why? Because you're reading it according to the new covenant. You're reading it with the lens of what Christ did. 
what Christ did, what Christ did, what Christ did, what Christ did. All right. All right, guys, always tell the truth about yourself. What's the truth? You're righteous. <laughs> you're holy. You're blameless. You're a new creation. You're a child of God. There's nothing wrong with you. You will never go to hell. You're already seated with Christ in heaven. Always tell the truth about yourself. Always be yourself. Love y'all. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this Walk Talk. Please be sure to rate and review this podcast and share it with others. Subscribe right now so you don't miss out on any new content. To be encouraged daily, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want even more information on my ministry or to check out my books, go to www.mattmcmillan.com.